Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. The Bible says that Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us or God among us. I love that idea because it tells us that he is alongside of us. If Jesus were here today physically, you might hear him as part of a crowd, but it's just as likely that he would meet you for coffee. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, in fact, Jesus himself said, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me and open the door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Hell, if he'd come in and have supper with you, he'd have coffee with you, wouldn't he? That's just how Jesus is. And I think he would want you to be physically comfortable. I mean, it's true that some of the things he says will make us feel internally uncomfortable, but I think he, he wants to meet people where they are so they will be comfortable as they listen. And that gives me an opportunity here at New Spring today to talk about how much we appreciate the hundreds of men and women who work in guest services here, who volunteer, uh, to offer us coffee, to help us find our places around. And it, I, I've shared this with our guest services department for years now. You know, whenever you go to someone's house for dinner, someone will meet you at the door and welcome you. And I've always said, Jesus is not physically present here, but those who work in guest services stand in his place to welcome us in to the house of God. And we do everything we can for you to be comfortable when you hear the words of Jesus. You'll notice in the back of the seat in front of you, there is a cup holder. And that's just a way of saying we want you to feel comfortable as you're hearing the message. I remember several years ago, I was conducting a funeral in South Auditorium here. And as people were leaving the service, I went back to my office for a few moments and I had to go back into the South Auditorium to get something. And I figured it would be empty, but there was one lady who was standing there very nicely attired, very, very professionally attired. And she was the only person in the auditorium. And she called me over and she said, can I ask you a question? Now, sort of assuming that the question would be something about the funeral sermon or something about God, but she pointed to the cup holders in the back of the seats and with a perplexed look, she said, what are these for? Are they for communion wine? And I thought if they were, nobody should drive after they leave a service here. <laughs> but I know Jesus would want you to be comfortable today when you come in. I mean, he met everyday people. That's what this series is about. He met everyday people like you and me, people with issues. And he met them where they were in every sense of the word, geographically, emotionally, spiritually. He met them where they were. He didn't expect them to be perfect. He expected the opposite. He knew they weren't perfect and he knew they had major problems and being God, he knew what those problems were as we'll see today, but it never stopped him from meeting people where they were. See the problem with religion, the problem tends to say, if you were in a different place, God might meet with you. And yet the message of this book and definitely the story of Jesus is he meets people where they are. But it's also important for us to understand that he never intends to leave them where they are. 
His purpose is always to meet people where they are and then take them to a new place. You don't need to respond to me in any fashion, but who's here today or watching online or watching on television and you need to go to a new place? Because right now, if the truth were told, you're in a bad place. And it could be because of something someone's done to you. It could be just because of circumstances you have no control over. But in most of our cases, it's stuff that we've at least contributed to. So who's here that needs to go to a new place? The good news is, and we'll see this in this series, the good news is you cannot be in a place so bad that a meeting with Jesus couldn't turn around. Let's start with the toughest situation. In these five messages, we're gonna talk about different situations, some people that responded to Jesus, some people that didn't, but let's just start with the toughest of all and then work backward. To me, if we're talking about a bad place, the quintessential bad place is summed up in two words. Too late. Too late. You know, if we're doing the wrong thing, having bad things happen to us, as long as we feel like there's a way out or a way back, we can, we can at least take a breath. But when you get to that place where you don't feel like there's any way back, it's just too late. It is, it is a real, it's the worst place to be. And isn't it amazing how that too late can happen too quick? All it takes is a few wrong turns and there's no way back. At New Spring, we tend to be a church of all generations and all ages. And I meet young people sometimes, 18, 20, 25 years old, who feel like it's too late for them. Well, that's Samantha and our story. She's too late. She's still living. But in reality, she's just sort of marking time, feeling that there's no way back. <laughs> we have a euphemism for it today. We call it lifestyles, lifestyle choices. Oh, we're not fooling anybody. It's just wrong turns. Wrong turns, bad place, too late. And in the process, our dreams, the dreams that we had for life, the hopes that we had for life, they go from the retail shelf to the cell rack to the clearance table to the trash can. But along comes Jesus and he meets us where we are on the boulevard of broken dreams. And I should tell you, I picked the name Samantha because it's very close to another word in the Bible. It's close to the word Samaria. Because one day Jesus met a woman in Samaria where too late it happened too quick. Let me just take a moment to tell part of the story. First of all, we have to get something geographic in our heads. As we think about Israel, we think about it as a nation. You need to know there were basically three sections. There's a southern section, a middle section, and a top section. The southern section was known as Judea. It's a very sacred place. That's where the city of Jerusalem was. And up at the top, that's Galilee. That's where Jesus is from. Or at least that's, that's where he's basing his operations. Most of the disciples are from Galilee. But right in the middle, there's a region called Samaria. And there are all kinds of problems with the Samaritan region. I mean, most of the problems have to do with the fact that the Jewish people did everything they could to stay away from Samaria. In fact, if Jewish people had to go down from Galilee to Judea, they typically went around Samaria. If they had to go up from Judea to Samaria, they went around, uh, up to Galilee, they went around Samaria. Now there's history there. There usually is. Whenever you find cultural or racial biases, usually there's history. And it's complicated. And it was complicated. It was a thousand years of complication. More than you want to know, but just so that you'll understand why there's this disconnect between the people groups of Galilee and Judea and Samaria, 
It went back really a thousand years because when Solomon left the kingdom, his son caused a split. It actually became two nations. It's why when you read in the Bible about the kings, it can look like there are two kings on the throne at the same time. That's because there's the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. But over time, both nations went into captivity. The northern kingdom went into captivity first. The area of Samaria went into captivity in 722 BC when Sennacherib and the Assyrians came and invaded. And they took the people away and they repopulated this area that ultimately will be known as Samaria. And so there is a lot of intermixture and intermarriage, which is not an issue for us today. But in those days, for the Jewish people, that was a real big problem. And it got so bad, there were such racial biases that the the people of Samaria would not have anything to do with the people of Judea and vice versa. So I tell you all that for a reason, because Jesus announces one day as he's down in Galilee, that he, in, in, in Judea, that he needs to go up to Galilee and he tells his disciples that they have to do something that they don't want to do. He says, we must go through Samaria. And Jesus has a reason. Because outside the little town in Samaria called Sychar is Jacob's well. And people in the mornings would go out for water to this well. And Jesus, as he gets to Samaria, tells his disciples, it's the middle of the day, it's noon. I got to tell you this, I think he's getting rid of his disciples for that moment. I think they would have gotten in the way of what he needs to do. So he sends them to McDonald's. <laughs> and they're on their way into Sychar. And a woman is going to come out to the well and Jesus this whole trip is about her. It does always amaze me that the disciples had to walk past her. She's a woman with a reputation. We're going to find out later that she is the town, supply your own name. She's been married and divorced five times. She's sleeping with a man who will not give her his name. Boy, you talk about being on the boulevard of broken dreams. It is her, and it's apparent. I'm sure anybody who looked at her would know that. And I don't know what the disciples said as they walked past her, but maybe they nudged one another and said, isn't that too bad? Now, there's also a reason why she goes out to the well in the middle of the day, because see, normally women would go out in the mornings when it was cool or in the evenings. Nobody went out to the well in the heat of the day but she knew that when people were clustered around talking, it's very possible they were talking about her and it was just too painful to go out and look at the stares that people had for her. So she goes out to the well at the middle of the day, but you and I know some of the backstory. We know that there is a guy sitting out there on the well resting. We know who he is. He is the son of God. He is the one who was active in creation and he has set up this whole trip to meet her. But she can tell by the clothes he's wearing that he's Jewish and he's a man. In those days, Jewish men didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. They really didn't have a whole lot to do publicly with Jewish women. There was, it was a very patriarchal society. And so she sees this Jewish man out there in his Jewish clothes. And she says to herself, when he sees me coming, he's going to leave. He will not stay there. I mean, the Jewish people will actually walk to the other side of the road, not to walk on the same ground that Samaritans walk on. Surely he's going to leave, but he doesn't. He just sits there. I mean, in the back of her mind, she's thinking, didn't your mama teach you anything? 
So she gets to the well and he's not moving. So you know how it is. She's just going to ignore him. It's like when you're on the elevator and you always look up at the numbers so that you don't have to look at the other people in the elevator. He's going to get her water, leave. But he breaks the silence. May I have a drink? Ooh, you talk about a freak out line? That's it. She'll tell us later that he doesn't have anything to draw with. And the only thing she's got is that jug. He is actually asking her to let him drink. Oh, this is good. Out of the same water that she's drinking out of. For the next few minutes, I want us to listen in on their conversation. But before we go into this conversation between him and her, you and I need to recognize there's an underlying tension. Do you ever have a conversation with somebody and you're talking about superficial things, but there's this underlying tension. There's this elephant in the room that nobody's talking about. Do you know how challenging that is to keep a conversation going when everybody's trying to ignore what we should be talking about? And so throughout this whole conversation, watch for this. There will be this underlying tension. Jesus wants to get her to a new place. This whole trip is about her going to a new place. But she doesn't think it's possible to get to a new place. She has just gone too far. It's too late. So consequently, she's going to do everything she can. And here's the word that we use today to deflect what Jesus has to say. Human nature, isn't it? Well, we all know what it's like to have somebody talk seriously with us about something that's going on in our lives, maybe some choices that we're making. We know what it's like to have people say, hey, I've been concerned lately about you. It's human nature. When we don't want to talk about those things, to deflect it, sometimes with stereotypical answers, and we have a whole list of those answers, don't we? You're judging me. You're shaming me. You got your problems too. It's my life somebody else's fault. We have those lines to deflect. It's natural to say those things. I don't think we really believe them. Why do we deflect? I think it's for a fairly legitimate reason. We deflect because we know the people that are telling us we're making wrong choices can't fix it for us. And we don't know how to get back. Have you ever listened to somebody in your life who's talking to you about something that needs to change and you're sitting there and deep in your gut, you're like, they're right. But what am I going to do about it? You can't fix it for me. If I knew how to fix it, I wouldn't be making these choices. And we deflect, I think, because we just want them to stop talking. It's just too painful to keep talking about something I can't fix. But there's a very tragic problem that happens at that point because we all know what happens. Eventually, those people who are trying to help us give up and they just say, I'm not going to try anymore. And the problem that occurs is the people that stay, the people that stay around. Because often, the people that stay in our lives after the people that tell us the truth leave, these are people who are looking for people to take advantage of. Or as in our story, like this man who's sleeping with her who won't give her his name. People who want to take the last crumbs that we have. Or those people who hang with us because it's too late for them too. 
And we kind of wind up living in a self-made leper colony. Well, in John 4, there's a woman who lives in that leper colony. We've been talking about her. But Jesus wants to meet her, and he's not afraid to meet her in her bad place. Actually, it's more than that. He had to meet her. It is interesting at the beginning of John chapter 4, when Jesus tells his disciples that he must go through Samaria, he uses the same word that he used in John chapter 3, the same Greek word, when he said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you understand that the same word for must that Jesus used to say that he had to meet this woman is the same word for must that he used when he said, I have to die on the cross so people can be saved. This is serious business. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I must get to her. I know we're a diverse church. It's a safe place to be broken. So we come from every, every area of life. And I know that every weekend at New Spring, there are people here who are non-theist, people who are agnostic. You're, you're not sure where you are. You're still searching. We, we come from every possible situation. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I know I'm talking to somebody and you're not spiritually resolved, you're not sure what you believe. In fact, if anything, you may be trying to get away from God. And you would never admit this in a million years, especially to your friends who believe in God. But deep down inside, you're asking a question. Why won't God leave me alone? I mean, like even in this service, you're like, I'm only here because my girlfriend goes here. And by the way, she didn't tell me. I'm just shooting that out. But even so, you feel something inside of you right now. I'm like, I don't want to feel something inside of me. Why doesn't God just leave me alone? Or Some of us who, who God has like gotten through, we can remember seasons in our life when we were trying to push him away. And wasn't it true that just quirky stuff happened, that there was no, no explanation, just some strange stuff? You're listening to a secular radio station. All of a sudden, they play a Christian song. You're like, they're not supposed to do that. <laughs> Why doesn't God leave me alone? It's because he can't. There's something inside of him that drives him to meet you. Because you understand, he is the one who can meet us in a bad place if we think it's too late and God can say, it's not too late. Oh, we're gonna watch that tension play out. And just like many of us do, she's gonna keep trying to change the topic. He's gonna talk to her. He's gonna try to talk to her about a new place. She's gonna try to change the subject. For lack of a better word, let's just say she's going to throw up some, some roadblocks, some barriers. We'll, we'll identify some of them. Let, let's read. Verse 7. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Well, the first roadblock she throws up is cultural, racial, gender, She's like, let's just stop this discussion. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You have your way of looking at life. We have our way of looking at life. You're a man. I'm a woman. Uh, we need to stop this discussion. One of the beautiful things about Jesus, he didn't argue with people. He's not arguing with her. I mean, yes, there were racial issues. There were complicated racial issues. And isn't it true that when we talk about racial and cultural issues, there's no simple answer to those things. It's, in fact, it's dangerous when people try to have trite, simple answers to deep cultural issues. Nobody really knows what somebody else's journey is like. 
And so Jesus doesn't get into that. He just, he just keeps going. Well, let's read. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Okay, roadblock number two. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his kids and the animals enjoy? Now she's got a rational block. In other words, she's trying to, she's trying to say, this makes no sense. I think this is a roadblock that a lot of people throw up. It's like, what happens is we throw up something that we don't understand, but really when it gets right down to it, we don't want to talk about what Jesus wants to talk about. So, well, there's this stuff in the Old Testament that I don't understand about, you know, how the battles are fought and this kind of thing. And if God is all good and all powerful, why does evil exist in the world? And those are just deflections. And that's what the woman is saying. She's like, you keep talking about giving me living water. You don't have a jug. You don't have a rope. And on top of that, how can you offer better water than this? I don't understand. Consequently, end of conversation. But it's not because Jesus has to get to her. He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Now our church verse. When we talked to Tyndale, they wanted to create a, a new spring Bible for us. They said, we'll put your church verse in the back cover of your Bible. This is the verse that's in the back of our Bible, because this is verses where we get our name, New Spring. Those who drink the water I give, Jesus said, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring, New Spring, within them, giving them eternal life. One more roadblock. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. I really hope God kept this on video because I think we need to hear the inflection in our voice. I don't think she's saying, I'm ready to accept you as Savior. I think she's saying, let's just get this over with. I'm going to give you a modified superficial yes. I'm going to throw up the superficial block. Yeah. Okay, Mark says, pray this prayer. I'll say these words. Well, Jesus is not phased, and we're about to go into what this sermon is about today. Buckle your seatbelts. Jesus says to her, go and get your husband. What do we know about her? What does Jesus know about her that she doesn't know yet? Her past. Jesus says, Go get your husband. Notice her attempt at an innocuous answer. I don't have a husband. Well, that can be interpreted all kinds of ways. I'm single. I was married. Um, not married. Uh, my husband died. I mean, all kinds, of, all kinds of easy answers for that. I mean, this, after all, she doesn't, this stranger, it's just a stranger. Why should she air her dirty laundry out before him? I don't have a husband. Boom. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband? Or you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now, you spoke the truth. At the beginning of this talk, I said to you, there's an underlying tension between Jesus and the woman. Now, we're about to experience that underlying tension. Those of us in this message today, we're about to feel some tension. What's Jesus doing here? 
I mean, kind of feels like a contradiction, doesn't it? I mean, after all, he's there to give her her a new life. He's meeting her where she is and offering to take her to a new place. But is he, why is he pressing her to talk about her sin? Why is he pressing her to talk about her past? Because after all, she sort of said yes. Is Jesus trying to shame her? Well, that would be the presumption in 2023 America. What I'm going into right now may be the toughest issue of our times. And I really do believe it's this one single misunderstanding that will put more people in hell than perhaps any other. Why does God confront sin in our lives? Why does he insist on repentance from sin? Why does God require that we are honest about sin? You and I live in an age where Christianity is being redefined by this postmodern culture in which a lot of so-called Christian groups basically say, you don't have to be honest about sin. Forget about that. Maybe what God says is sin in the Bible. Maybe it's not sin in 2023. While that may feel kind, it's cosmically cruel because it leaves people vulnerable to be eternally condemned. I want you to look at the word of God because we're going to see for the next few moments, we're going to see how that grace comes together with us being honest about our sin. Listen to this scripture. This is early in the book of Mark. Jesus is calling out the disciples and he's just called a guy by the name of, well, eventually we'll know him as Matthew. When you open the New Testament, it's his name attached to the first book of the New Testament. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors in those days were the worst of the worst. The Bible talks about sinners and tax collectors. Tax collectors were so bad they couldn't even rise to the qualification of being just a sinner. They had their own category. If you work for the IRS, it was different then. Sorry. Well, anyway, Jesus has just walked by the booth of one of these rotten people, and his name is Levi, and Jesus said, hey, come follow me, and he does. He just leaves his table, and he starts following Jesus, but then he invites everybody to his house. Now, let's watch this in Mark 2, verse 15. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Okay, coffee with Jesus, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many of Many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Isn't that good to know? These are followers of Jesus, but they were still sinners. And the Pharisees saw him eating with them, and they asked, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, and here we go. Here's our answer. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, because nobody is, Romans 3.10, I've come to call, Jesus said, those who know they are sinners. This is where grace and repentance come together. Here's what I must understand if I want to be transformed from the inside out. I must understand the, these two statements that I'm about to make. God loves me the way I am. He doesn't love the way I am. God loves us the way we are. He doesn't love the way we are. Understanding that, the difference between that and not understanding is the difference between heaven and hell. 
If I believe on one hand that God doesn't love the way I am, and I don't think that God loves me the way I am, I'm going to be like the woman in our story, and I'm going to think it's too late, and all hope is gone for me. One more time, I want to say that. If I believe that God doesn't love the way I am, in other words, the choices, the things that I'm doing, and I also believe God doesn't love me the way I am because of the way I am, I will live in despair. But if, on the other hand, I believe that God loves me the way I am, and I believe God loves the way I am, then I'll spend an eternity in hell for this very reason. The Son of God came into our world to die for our sins, for our sins. He hung on a cross for six hours. He, he, he had to pull against the nails and push off against the nail that held his feet to get every breath of prayer. They lacerated his back until his internal organs were visible. They jammed a crown of thorns on his head. He hung there and suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, the Bible says, for six hours. If I tell God what I'm doing wrong is not sin, I just told him there was no reason for his son to hang on the cross, and I just flipped God off with both fingers. I am telling the one who can rescue me from any situation that what he needs to rescue me from is no problem. I don't get to watch movies very much, but in the four weeks we were off, we watched a few movies. One of my favorite movies is a Tom Hanks movie named called Sully. It's a true story. It's the story of Captain Chesley Sullenberger, U.S. Airways pilot who in, in January of 2009 took off from LaGuardia and there was a bird strike that knocked out both of his engines. And there was no way he could get to any of the airports. And he actually had to land his plane with no power. He and his co-pilot on the Hudson River. And all 155 people survived. It is one of the greatest stories in, in American history. We all love that story. I don't cry very much. I'm not all that emotional outwardly, but there's always one moment in that movie that makes me cry. And it's that moment when the tugboats are coming in to rescue the people who are standing on the wing and in the water. And I see that tugboat rescuer reach out with his hand and pull people out of the water into the boat. You see, the rescuers met them in the water but they didn't leave them in the water. So the problem with postmodern so-called Christianity is it says that Jesus will meet us in the water, but the water is okay and he leaves us in the water. As I said, understanding that is as big as understanding. It's as big as the difference between heaven and hell. I want you to look at these salvation verses in the Bible because again, the whole point is how does grace come together with repentance? How many of us have heard so many sermons on grace, but at the end it's kind of like, yeah, grace is Jesus helping us overcome sin. Or we may hear a sermon on sin and then they sort of bring in grace at the end like this is God's plan. But how does grace and repentance from sin come together? That's where, where we need to be today. I want you to listen to these verses. Watch the nexus of these two major thoughts. 2 Peter 3, 9. He does not wish for any to perish. How many people does God want in hell? Zero. Hell was made for Satan and his demons. He does not want any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. John 8, 11, the woman who was caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Maybe the shortest of all, the tax collector who was so disgusted with his conduct that in the temple he just hit himself in the chest and prayed this prayer. 
God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. You say, Mark, I've been a God follower for years, and I still have some problems with some sin in my life. In fact, I, I got stuff in my life that just keeps coming up and coming up, and I tell God I'm sorry, and I won't ever do it again. And I just say, God, I'm, I, I, Mark, are you, are you saying to me that because I have, listen, we can't be perfect for 30 minutes. God knows that. I know that. Even after Christ comes into our lives, we're still going to have a struggle. We're going to have a battle. So how does God feel about us? In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says we have a chief priest, that's Jesus, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, when he says weaknesses there, he's not just talking about the fact we can't run the 100-yard dash. Look at the context. He was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. So we can go confidently to the throne of God's kindness to receive mercy and kindness. So here's the thing. God is sympathetic. Whatever you're wrestling with in the area of sin, God is sympathetic with you. He knows how difficult. Jesus has been a human being. He understands temptation. Whatever temptation you're dealing with, he is sympathetic with you. He's not sympathetic with your sin, but he's sympathetic with the battle that you have about it. But the important thing is to have a battle about it. Because if we tell God it's not sin, in other words, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever temptation, it can be something that the world considers a really dark sin. It can be something that Christians tend to paper over and say it's not so bad. But sin is sin in the eyes of God. Whatever you're dealing with, you can bring it to your Lord, identify it, lay it at his feet because he is sympathetic with the battle that you're having. <laughs> but like those rescuers on the Hudson, he's not going to leave you where he found you. And he's not going to leave this woman at the well. Well, I got to finish. When she was able finally to bring her sin to Jesus and say, this is my problem. And, 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 when she, and here's the thing she understood clearly. Jesus had said from the beginning, I got something for you. He knew everything about her, but he still had something for her. That's the beauty of Jesus. He knows everything about you and me, but he still has something for us. He still has a gift. When she recognized that for the first time, she could talk about her real issue. Because her real issue wasn't relationships and the five guys she'd been married to that divorced her. It, probably, it, it wasn't even the man she was sleeping with. Her real issue was what she's now free to talk to Jesus about. So the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Now she's asking Jesus about faith. And in fact, she's asking the question that people ask sometimes, which religion is right? Well, I don't have it in my notes, but Jesus basically says neither. I mean, if you read the next verse, he's saying, those people who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. It's not a matter of which religion is right. And that's what brings her to the big question that she just hones right in on. She says, well, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And oh, how I would like to see this moment as Jesus looks at her and smiles and says, you're talking to him. You're talking to him. I am the Messiah. Do you want to live a new life? 
You want to go to a new place today and for the rest of your life and for eternity? Then plead guilty. Stop fighting your defense attorney in heaven. Plead guilty. Don't let your sins shame you into running and don't get defensive and demand that your sin is not sin because if you don't have a problem, your doctor cannot help you. And then you can open your mind and heart to the reality that our relationship with God doesn't come down to what we've done. It's come, it comes down to who Jesus is. You see, it's okay to bring your sin to Jesus because he will look at you and say, I paid for that. You don't have to pay for that. I paid for it with my blood. And when Jesus died on the cross, the last word he said is tetelestai, and he committed his spirit to God. Tetelestai in Greek means it is finished. Paid in full. I can tell Jesus about my sin because it's not standing in between him and me. He has paid for it, but he wants me to be honest about it because until I'm honest, there's a break. Well, it's time for me to close out this message. And here's a simple statement. It's not too late for you. It is not. I, I don't know what you've done. It is not too late for you. If you're breathing, it's not too late. Someday it will be. If I die and I haven't received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'm locked in. It's not too late. Someday it will be, but not today. Not today. That's why the Bible always says, come today, come today. Not tomorrow, come today, today. Would you bow your head with me? If today the Holy Spirit of God, while I've been talking, has made something very clear to you that you need this, that you need to be able to just take all the brokenness, the sin and dysfunction and just lay it out there for Jesus. The good news is you can begin again. It's a gift of God. It can happen right now in this moment. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's why I lead us in a prayer at the end of the service. Those are not magic words. It's just an act of faith to call. So I'm gonna pray a prayer and I'm gonna put little breaks in between each line so you can decide if you wanna say this to God because it won't be the words, it'll be what you mean in your heart that matter. And I'm gonna put a little break as I said because I want you to think about it and see if you wanna say it. Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I break your commandments and your laws. And I confess that. But I know you love me. I believe Jesus died in my place on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. 
and since Jesus is alive. By faith, I claim Jesus as my Savior. I receive him as my King. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me wherever you are, either South or North Auditorium, I have a gift for you. There's a New Spring Bible in here. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God that'll answer a lot of questions, some other things in there. All you need to do to put this under your arm and take it home today is to just text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-A-D to 97000. Go to any info center. They won't bother you, get in discussion unless you want to have one. Just say, I pray with Mark. He'll give this to you and you can take it with you today. If you're watching online or on television, just text pray to 97,000, follow the steps, and we'll mail this to you. May God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.